Hold in Court with Mike Trevelyan and Dean Sheridan. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Holding Court with myself, Dean Sheridan, and my barrister friend, Michael Trevelyan. This is the podcast where we discuss laws, crimes, legal issues, usually quirky ones or controversial or in the public eye. And uh, Mike will give us his expertise on the matter. And if he doesn't know anything about it, then we will just take the mickey out of the case if it's funny. How are you, Mike? Uh, yeah, I'm well, thank you. Um, dear listener, if during that introduction you heard a weird sort of scraping noise, that was me. For some reason, my hand just took on a life of its own and smashed the computer mouse across the desk. So I apologise if your eardrums were shattered by that unexpected noise. Um, but apart from that, I'm well. I, um, Dean, you may recall, or you may know, or you may not, that um, during the pandemic, do you remember coronavirus? I heard about it. It was definitely uh, very popular in the in the twenties and yes, uh, the roaring twenties, the early twenty ones. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, nothing ever really came of it. It was a bit like those murder hornets, wasn't it? Everyone was, you know, initially quite concerned, but I think it just went away. Um, but you may recall that during the lockdown, um, I sort of got into painting a little bit. I did a little bit of painting, did a couple of canvases, which I quite enjoyed. Um, I'm very bad at painting, but I, I find it quite uh, cathartic. And I was thinking the other day, it'd be nice to get back into that. But I used to paint on my kitchen table. And my kitchen table previously was very old. And so it didn't really matter that I got paint all over it. Now I have a new table. So I didn't want to start painting on it. And I forgot is the wrong word, but I have a room, you may recall, Dean, upstairs first left, which is the tiny box room in my house. Where, where, which, where you keep the uh, the fish prison, where fish who have caused issues are kept separate from the other fish in your house. Exactly, exactly. It's where the misbehaving uh, marine life has to go and spend its time. And I'd sort of forgotten about this room because I just used it to store stuff, but it has a desk in it. So yesterday or the day before, I was like, why don't I clear this room out? And then I've got a little room I can use for painting. I can paint on the desk. It's not even my desk. It came with the house. So I don't care if it gets covered in paint. So now I have a little a little room to paint in. So I'm quite excited about this. I'm going to start painting again. So you, you're going to be like the, the next Van Gogh, or is it Van Gogh? I always forget how they say it. Um, I think, it, well, it used to be. When I, when I was a lad, it was Van Gogh. And then I think people became very pretentious about the, the pronunciation of foreign names. So it then became Van Gogh in much the same way as when David Ginola, the footballer, came to, I don't even think it was the Premier League, actually, I think it was the old first division. He was originally called David Ginola. And then after a couple of years, people started referring to him as David Ginola. Um, so it was just a strange development, that. But I think now Van Gogh is the one. A bit like how Bodicea has become Boudicca. What's all that about? I was, they always called it Boudicca when I was younger. And then I heard Bodicea later on. Have I gone the wrong way? I think you've gone the wrong way. It's, it's Bodicea, but everyone used to call it Boudicca. Ah, uh, well, that's a shame. Uh, but just, anyway. just for anyone who doesn't know, Boudicca slash Bodicea was like a Celtic warrior queen, wasn't she? That was uh, when the Romans came to uh, the United Kingdom to set up our road systems and aqueducts. She decided to try and kick them out. Yes, I think that's right. And um, do you know what? They still haven't fixed the potholes. It's been like 2,000 years and the roads are still full of potholes. Well, they kept trying, but Boudicca and that just kept rocking up and, and uh, 
<laughs> and kicking them off the street. <laughs> she felt she felt very strongly about potholes, and she wanted to preserve the natural British pothole. So every time <laughs> the Roman council workers would come over, she would just kind of erupt out of a nearby bush on a chariot and just uh, scare them away. And, uh, so uh, yeah, so we look forward to seeing originals by Michael at an art gallery near you. We have the Herbert Art Gallery, and given obviously the fame and following of this podcast once mike has finished his what 50th painting we can have the holding court exhibition yes we certainly can it'll be a bit like you know bob dylan has now started doing painting for a few years yeah so you know he made his money in other ways he became famous and then he just started painting so i'm following that trajectory having gained the fame and the fortune through the podcast Mm -hmm. i can now pivot towards painting um but how are you doing how are you uh, I'm very, very good. Yes, it's been good times in the House of Dean. Nothing sp- uh, specifically uh, special, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying myself. I've found a new video game called Fall Guys. That's not a new video game, but it's free. I have become addicted like a 14-year-old child. So there you go. Now, you recently became addicted to another game called Elden Ring. I did. Which Which game would you say, at the height of the addiction... Which game had its hooks into you more, Fall Guys or Elden Ring? I would say Fall Guys in the addiction category because it's got like daily tasks and things like that that sort of drive you to it. Whereas I would definitely say that Elden Ring is the better game. <laughs> and, and probably <laughs> first. And, and the amount of time that I spent on it felt maybe like it, it was worth a little bit more in Elden Ring to explore at least than, than just constantly uh, beating kids in Fall Guys but you know they both have their their peaks and their troughs well that's right that's right and there's room in our lives for for dark and light um I was going to ask you a question I I find your addictions really interesting I would quite like to get you addicted to hard drugs (laughs) because I think your addiction is really interesting because you do become fully immersed in something that you forget you don't become addicted it's weird because you don't become addicted to things and then get addicted immediately to something else. You're not kind of addictive in that way. But when you do become addicted to something, you become fully immersed in it for a good couple of weeks. And I think that's really interesting. So I would like to see you on heroin. Oh, well, let's see. Yeah, because then I'd give it up after a couple of weeks. Exactly. It's that, that easy to do. Yeah, and it would then just be a funny story. <laughs> um, and for a couple of weeks, this podcast would be absolutely mad while you're just in the grips of, of a heroin addiction. Yeah, and that we work, I work well towards the art. I'll start making some art as well, and, and we can do a half-and-half half exhibition. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. So I think, actually, this is becoming even better of an idea than I originally thought it was, and I already thought it was quite a good idea. So uh, we'll move on to what the podcast is actually about, which is the first case, and away from my possible pending heroin addiction. And we're back with the SCOTUS uh, I think is how you would call it, the Supreme Court of the United States. And there seems to be uh, another thing that has happened recently, because as I sort of, sort of mentioned uh, in the same breath uh, on a YouTube video as uh, Roe v. Wade, although it's nowhere near, I think, as big an effect, but it definitely discusses freedoms again a bit. Uh, it's a coach in America who was fired from his job because he used to pray. 
at every football game. So this has been overturned by the uh, SCOTUS. The Christian high school football coach who was fired after praying at 50-yard line says he wants his old job back after SCOTUS rules that he was wrongly punished. So uh, a high school football coach who has spent seven years battling to be allowed to pray on the sidelines after a game has said he is thrilled at the Supreme Court ruling that his actions were protected and hopes to return to his old job. Joseph Kennedy, who served in the US Marine Corps for 20 years, began coaching at Bremerton High School near Seattle in 2008. But in 2015, the school received a complaint that some athletes found coerced to join in. And Kennedy's coaching contract was not renewed the following season. He decided to take the issue to court. On Monday, the Supreme Court ruled in his favour, declaring that his actions were protected under the First Amendment. Kennedy told DailyMail.com, someone Daily Mail, he saw his victory as one for all Americans. I don't even know how to put it into words, he said. They should give me a day off to think about it and process it all. It is just incredible to know that I did nothing wrong. Everything I did was fine, and that the First Amendment is fine and well for everyone. He insisted that there had never been any coercion to join him in prayer, but that it had been a personal act of worship. I had a commitment with God that I'd give him thanks for every football game, win or lose, Kennedy said. And that's the way I started out. I had some kids that wanted to join and they asked. And of course, it's a free country, Kennedy said. They can do whatever they want. And that went on fine for eight years. Then someone made a complaint. They started an investigation and the lawyers got involved from the school district. They wanted to completely remove all religious aspects from the public schools. So they fired me and I've just been fighting ever since to get back. The complaint was made in 2015 and a school official then recommended Kennedy not be rehired for the 2016 season. He did not apply and instead sought redress through the courts. Kennedy's lawyer, Jeremy Diss, said they were shocked they had to fight all the way to the Supreme Court as they felt the case was clear-cut. It's unfortunate that it had to go all the way to the Supreme Court to figure that out, he told. We thought when we took this case on that we'd be working on it for three weeks and everything would move on. But the school district kept moving the goalposts. Kennedy agreed, saying he was surprised when the lower courts kept on rejecting his claim. I really thought if someone just looked at the facts of the case and the way Constitution was written, that they would have to rule in my favour, he said. I was optimistic every step of the way, and I was surprised that the lower courts ruled against me, some of them so harshly. I was waiting for someone to get beyond whatever their bias was and just look at the facts of the case and rule accordingly. Kennedy said he was buoyed by the buoyed, buoyed? Buoyed. 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 Well, it I is think buoyed, it's, um, it? Yeah, I think because you know, like the buoys that they have in, in the sea. Yeah. And they kind of float. So I think it's oh, yeah, keep that idea. Up, you're kind keeping of, you know, up, yeah. Keeping them up. Exactly. I thought it was buoyed because of the way it was written. But then I thought I've heard someone say buoyed before. But then I'm. Well, it's a weird word, isn't it? Because it doesn't. I mean, it's, it's, it's insanely written. And um, it just doesn't. It just doesn't say what it says. Um, But anyway, sorry, carry on. Yeah. So buoyed by the support from fellow Americans who agreed with him that it was a private show of faith rather than a coercive action. I wasn't trying to do anything with anybody else. He said, this was just me thanking God for 15 seconds after a football game. It had nothing to do with anything else. He added, I think every American should have been totally 100% on my side from just my perspective. This is about the First Amendment. It has nothing to do with infringing on anybody else's. This is somebody exercising the freedom that is in our country. And that's how I look at it. He said that many people can relate to that, adding people feel the Constitution has been put aside and they haven't had the freedom. And that's why they are so excited about this. 
Kennedy, who has moved to Florida to help his wife care for her mother, said he hopes to return to his old job at Bremerton High School. That's all I asked for from the beginning, he said. The only thing I asked for was to be a coach, and thank God after. So I'm waiting for the school district and my lawyers to figure that out. In a 6-3 ruling, the high court sided with Kennedy, who was put on leave when the school said that his prayers violated the separation of church and state. The district claimed to have revealed received a slew of complaints and threats following news of Kennedy's prayers for allegedly influenced students to join him. Supreme Court, which had first declined to hear Kennedy's case in 2019, ruled on Monday that his prayers were protected under First Amendment rights to free speech. The decision is the latest in line of Supreme Court rulings for religious plaintiffs. In another recent example, the court ruled that Maine can't exclude religious schools from a program that offers tuition aid for private education, a decision that could ease religious organizations' access to taxpayers' money. So, so that, that, I, I think that's a bit bad that he would have been fired for that. I mean, uh, I, I can imagine, I mean, that if it was, maybe another religion that it wouldn't have hit so much than a Christian. Yes. I mean, I think this is interesting um, in terms of how far it went. I mean, I do agree that this probably isn't something that needed to trouble the Supreme Court. <coughs> oh dear. Sorry. I had to sneeze then and I just could not stop myself. So I don't know if we're going to cut that or not, but if not, Sorry about that. Sneezing. I don't know. I'll listen to how funny it sounds and then uh, decide at the time whether to cut or keep it. Excellent. It's the, the revenge of Jesus. Um, so, the yeah. How, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because he's saying, you know, why did this go to the Supreme Court? It's all fairly clear cut, which on one view I think it is. And I'll come to the First Amendment in a moment. But then I think whenever you get a split in the in a country's highest court. Do you say it's a six to three? I think you said six, six to three, yeah. So there's obviously something to argue about there. You know, if, if the nine justices were split six to three, then, you know, the other side obviously had a credible argument. So, um, so you know, you can understand, therefore, why they were pursuing it as far as they did. So the First Amendment to the US Constitution is um, a really broad one. And what it says is, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So really, it's for the purposes of this case, it would have been Congress shall make no law prohibiting the free exercise of religion. So when you read it in that way, cutting out all the extraneous stuff, you kind of think, well, yes, I mean, he has the right to the free expression of his religion and uh, he does it in a way which is consistent with his religious beliefs. I suppose the issue really was probably um, this question of coercion and, as you were saying, a separation of of church and states because it was a school, wasn't it, Mm -hmm. that he was doing this at. I imagine that if he was simply a uh, football coach for, you know, an amateur team or something like that or quite possibly even a professional team uh, and he was doing exactly the same thing, there would have been no question that he was protected by the First Amendment because um, there would have been no issue of church and state. There would have been no state involvement. Okay, that, make, that makes sense. So, yeah, because I was thinking sport and religion has always kind of come hand in hand in, in many ways. If you like, I watch boxing a lot and how, the amount of boxers that, you know, thank God or Jesus for their, uh, for the, their win or, or 
is is quite there's quite a lot um tyson fury a big one you know he'll always at the end uh, of every fight usually you know thank jesus or god and, and it's the same with other religions i'm trying to think of oh, i forget what his name is the ufc fighter muslim ufc fighter would always sort of like have like a little prayer at the end and things like that so and i think that's the same in, in a in a lot of sports when they huddle together it's just like american football and things like that so i did think it was weird it, it seems sort of out of place it's all it almost feels like it's a cliche when that there would be a coach or, or some members of the team having a prayer or, or whatever it is uh, before a game or after a game. So that's what I found a bit strange that he would have been fired for that because it almost seems to, to go hand in hand. And I guess, obviously, it would come down also in America to what state that would be. And I doubt in a place like Texas, uh, he would be penalised, but he's Seattle. Um so I guess it is it you know a different reaction towards organised religion in di- in different areas, uh, and so it is strange that that would also probably change, and you wouldn't hear about it depending on where it was within the same country, and the issue wouldn't be as big. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, on the sport point generally, I mean, you know, I watch football every now and again, um, or soccer for our American friends to distinguish it from the sport we're actually discussing. And uh, you see it all the time, you know, substitutes come on and they cross themselves over the chest as they're running onto the pitch. And it would just be ridiculous if every time they did that, they were sent off immediately and and told that they had to go and sit back down. So, yeah, you see expressions of religious belief uh, all over the world of sport. Going back to, you know, that old Aztec sport where they used to do is the sort of... um, it was like the ancient basketball, wasn't it? Have you ever seen this? They would have, they would play basically basketball, but you would have to, I think it's Aztecs, instead of holding the ball and trying to get it into the basket, you had to knock it with your elbow. Okay. And I, I think the team that lost, or quite possibly the team that won, one of the two teams, would end up being sacrificed um, to, to a sort of Aztec god. Um, so, you know, religion and sport have always come see, together. See, now I can get on board with him being fired if he sacrificed a player at the end of every <laughs> football game that they lost. I'll be like, yes. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I get a freedom of religion, but uh, you yes. didn't need to sacrifice little Johnny because uh, he missed that uh, kick. Exactly. Um, I could see him sort of in like a big robe holding up little Johnny and kind of <laughs> over like a big pyre. And everyone's kind of chanting, Congress shall make no law prohibiting the free exercise of religion. And then he's kind of thrown into this pyre. I think that if the the tune's as catchy as that, then I can't see. You're there, aren't you? You're there. I was sort of going for like a sort of monk-esque kind of tune there. You know, like when when they do monk singing. What what, what genre is that? It's not monk singing. It's just uh, like him, isn't it? A hymn, exactly. I was going for a sort of hymn, hymnal uh, tune there. Um, but no, it's specifically monks, isn't it? Because hymns are all sorts. You could do... It's, um, it's, a, it's a chant. A chant, yeah, chant. exactly. Yeah, a sort of monk, monkish chant. Sort of a douche-froda kind of a... Yes. A dofakin Yes, of. exactly. That's exactly a, that, right. that was a geeky Skyrim reference for any video gamers out there. Yes, I, I'm far too cool to have originally got that, but um, I did I did in the end. Um, yeah, so that would be a step too far, I think. I think we can agree that the sacrificing of people would be a step too far. But um, well, it's interesting. It, isn't the Pledge of Allegiance, doesn't that mention one... Uh, one nation under God. One nation under God, yeah. 
Yeah, with liberty and justice for all. So, like, separation of a God and state in, in that pledge in itself is a, a, a blurred area, isn't it? Well, that's exactly right, because I was just about to, to, to talk about this, because in France, for example, France is constitutionally secular. So the separation between any religion and state in France is much more deeply rooted. And so that's why, for example, the French are much keener on things like banning um, people from wearing religious garments, religious jewellery, that kind of stuff, um, because it's seen as an expression of religion in a secular state. But America's never been like that, to my knowledge. Um, I'm not really a historian of, of America, but there's always been an interaction between religion and, and, and the state in America, as you say, even from the sort of founding and the, the Pledge of Allegiance. So quite why the separation of church and state was seen to be the issue that it was um, in this particular case, I don't quite follow because constitutionally it's rather different to the situation in secular countries like France. So also, I mean, when you think about even uh, the UK, you've got God Save the Queen. Yes, yes. Seem to be king, on it seems. Wow. Let's hope not too soon. Well, um, you know, we've got to get ready for this. It's coming. I am surprised, frankly, that the Queen made it to the Jubilee. I thought she was going to die before the Jubilee. I think she's got another 100 years in her, to be fair. Do you think so? Yeah. I, I think maybe another 75. I think I'm, we, I'm, I'm pretty pessimistic. So. I think if we bring back sacrificing at the end of football games in honour mm. to keep uh, old Lizzie alive, then she can yes. go for another 100. God save the Queen. That sort of thing. That was a bit more monkish. Yeah, I, think, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you could, you're coming up with your own anthem there, man. <laughs> I, I don't know if this sounds just better in my head than it does in real life. If only there was some way of listening back to what we're, yeah. what, what we're saying. I don't know. I'll make loads of sound clips and sort of remix it into a, a club anthem. Oh, yeah, that's going to be great. But, uh, yeah, so... It's, it's to say that we're back to the sort of Supreme Court after last week, and I thought it was interesting to then look into this and uh, the sort of that that discussion of, of freedom of religion. Yeah, they've and, been very busy, haven't they, the Supreme Court recently? Yeah, I know. Um, but it's strange that it even got to them. Like I say, what we're talking about, you'd think it would just be accepted that he should be able to do that. And unless there's something, unless there is proof that he is pushing religion on people than his right to prayer because you wouldn't turn around to a kid who played the football game if he was say uh muslim and then at the start of he prayed before he went out they, they wouldn't be like oh well you're not separating it you're playing a game and i just think it's the same for any for anything uh, maybe maybe it's just the fact that he's the teacher like the coach in the position of power that maybe the coercion isn't that he particularly is coercing him into it, but that people see that he's doing it. And so it seems more influential than say, if little Johnny stops and has a prayer, probably to say, please don't sacrifice me at the end of the game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, live and let live. That's the moral of the story, isn't it? So do you have your, what happened next, Mike? I do. Thank you. So uh, frequent listeners will know, that uh, we have a section called What Happened Next, in which I read from a real case, and I simply ask Dean to guess what happened next in the case. Uh, recently, we've been taking a slightly flexible 
approach to what happened next. But this week we are going back. We're doing it old school. I am going to read from a judgment and ask you what happened next. Um, so this is a very recent case uh, of the High Court before uh, Mr. Justice Green. I should say one of the coolest things I think about becoming a High Court judge is that you get the word justice in your name. Like how cool is that? Mr. Justice Green. That's cool. Um, anyway, so this is the case of uh, Amir Tharaja, which is the surname, and White. And Amir Tharaja, there are two of them. They're the appellants. And uh, White is the respondent. There are two respondents in this case, two Whites. So the neutral citation for those playing along at home is 2021 EWHC 330 CH because it's a chancery appeal. And the judgment says... Uh, this is an appeal by the defendants, uh, so the Amitharajas, uh, brought with the partial permission of Mr Justice Falk from the order of his honour Judge, Judge Holmes, sitting in the county court at Southend, made on the 4th of October 2019. The judge heard the trial of this matter on the 2nd, 3rd and 4th of October and delivered his judgment extempore at the end of the trial. The case concerns a narrow passageway that runs between two buildings owned by the appellants. And I'll just pause there to say that um, effectively this is a, a boundary dispute case about who owns the passageway. Uh, it goes on to say, uh, as I will explain in more detail below, there were purportedly three claimants to this action. Mr. William Cecil White, his wife, Mrs. Francis White, and their son, Mr. Colin White. Uh, on the 23rd of February 2017, all three jointly purchased the property known as Hollis House. They purchased Hollis House from a friend of theirs who had lived there with his wife for 40 years. The passageway goes from the access road to the garden of Hollis House. There is a locked gate at the access road end of the passageway, and the respondents say that this has always been controlled and indeed was strengthened by Mr Bright, who had thereby acquired title to the passageway by adverse possession. Uh, adverse possession is the legal phrase for squatters' rights. Uh, then goes on to say, an extraordinary aspect of this case is that... What happened next, Dean? What's the extraordinary aspect of this case? Okay, let me just clarify uh, that yep. I'm getting all the facts right. There is a passageway that goes to this Hollis house yep. from, a, from an access road. Yeah. has a gate at the top of it. Yes. So it goes down to there. These The White family have just taken over this Hollis house, bought yep. from a friend of theirs. Yep. So technically a road that leads to their house that's gated at the end is under dispute that they don't own their own access to, to their own house. Yes. And it's the other guy is saying he has taken it by some form of squatter's rights. Yeah, so the, the Whites say um, that the previous owner, uh, Mr Bright, the previous owner of Hollis House that they bought, he had taken adverse possession, so he had effectively been squatting over this piece of land, and thereby it had become his land. So when the whites bought the land they bought it with the passageway as part of the land because the previous owner had taken possession of it okay okay so so, so come on to what happened next again sorry bring me back in there i just wanted all the facts okay so then goes on to say an extraordinary aspect of this case is that is that i can't even think to what what it could possibly be is that underneath the passageway is actually a mine that's filled with gold. Oh, that would have been excellent. That would have been excellent. The um, Unfortunately, no. The 
the, the clue actually was uh, when the judge said, uh, as I will explain in more detail below, there were purportedly three claimants to this action. Because what he says is an extraordinary aspect of this case is that Mr. William White died in September 2017, yet he was included as the first claimant on the claim form when it was issued on the 14th of January 2019. At the trial, no one referred to the fact that Mr. White remained a claimant, and the judge clearly assumed in his judgment that he was still alive. Neither of the respondents, both of whom gave evidence, mentioned that he had died. Counsel for the respondent, who appeared at the trial, didn't know at the time that Mr. White had also died. It was only after the judgment, when the appellants changed their lawyers, that the point was raised, and they have since accused the respondents and their lawyers of misleading the court and committing an abusive process. Because part of the reason why the Whites originally won their case, a small part, but a part nonetheless, was that the judge at trial found that William White needed access to the house because he was wheelchair bound. Mm -hmm. And so that was part of the decision. So at the trial, that was seen to be a relevant factor, uh, despite the fact that he had died before the claim even started. Well, surely he still needs that kind of access because it's going to be even harder to get to the house now he's dead. Well, or is it easier because can ghosts go through walls? Oh, I was thinking about the corpse. Oh, than, the actual corpse. You know, yes, rather than you're like right. the, the floaty spectral being. Yes, that is fair. It is going to be harder for him in his corporeal body to um, to get down to the <laughs> front door of Holly's house. Yeah. So I suppose in a way the judge was not wrong. But, um, but yes, so this whole case had been issued, it had gone to trial, it had a whole trial, and uh, nobody thought to mention that uh, one of the three claimants was actually dead before any of this started. How peculiar. And, and then and that was the guy who won it. <laughs> yes, yes. But so what happens? And, so what happened? What happened next? Is it like, <laughs> what, what, what would happen then? So could so, not go back to court? So that part of the grounds of appeal were that the judge had got this wrong because obviously he shouldn't have given consideration to the fact that the dead guy needed access by wheelchair. Um, but because there were two other claimants, the claim wasn't invalidated because the other two could win in their own right, effectively. So the case actually ended up in the Court of Appeal, and I think the Whites won then. Uh, so fortunately, it didn't have as big an impact on the case as it might have done. Had, of course... Mr. William White deceased being the only claimant, uh, then the claim would have had to have been dismissed or carried on by his estate. Um, but fortunately, because there were two other live claimants as part of the claim, it could carry on in their name only. Um, but um, I am not aware of any other case in which a dead party has managed to be successful. So this whole like squatter's rights thing and the fact that he managed to get a, a passageway to the house, the original owner, by technically what invading that that part of land and squatting on it yeah so um there's a there's a provision uh, that if you have possessed land for 12 years and you've done that without force without secrecy and without permission the latin for that is nec vi nec clam nec precario then that land can be registered in your name and um, the idea being that if you've been able to occupy the land for that length of time uh, without having to use any force and you've done it quite openly and nobody's allowed you to do it, then it's presumed to be your land. So at the back of my house is a sort of, well, I, I guess 
kind of like a back alley kind of thing between my house and, and the, the next house along. If I was to then build, put some fences up between my back gate across the sort of that entry path, uh, that entry area at the back, and no one stopped me, and I quite openly just did it, started, you know, took down my fence, started using that area as part of my house. If no one has anything negative to say about it for 12 years, that is then part of my house. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. Okay. If everyone just kind of assumes it's your land. I keep that in mind. Just yeah. slowly, slowly start expanding my empire into my neighbour's gardens and things like that. <laughs> but that's why the requirement to do it without uh, secreting is so important. And, and of course, without permission. Um, because if at any time somebody says, well, I'm not happy about this, but I'll let you do it. Uh, then, of course, you're not adversely possessing the land, you're possessing it with permission. There we go. Now I can begin my plans for slow conquest um, around the local area. Yes, yes. And you can build out slowly but surely, uh, 12 years at a time. And uh, in you know the years will fly by, and before you know it, you'll own a small patch of land. Yeah, which is what the Queen will be doing for the next 100 years. Yes, exactly. It's good to have a hobby. <laughs> Okay, so now we'll move on to our final part of the show. This is the I Call Bullshit segment of the show. This is where I will present Mike with a crime or a court case or something that has been shared on the internet in meme form or an article that seems a little bit crazy and often can be false news, often can be true. And I asked Mike to let me know if he thinks it's bullshit or not this is where we give back to the community by debunking some of these crazy things that get shared on the internet so mike the i call bullshit for today is man shot his doctor after he made him climax during a prostate exam (laughs) um shot his doctor with what when he came back and shot his doctor with a gun oh he wasn't part of the climaxing (laughs) <laughs> no, it wasn't like so, so severe a climax that it killed his doctor. <laughs> um, why would you do that? Why would you come back and shoot it? Homophobia. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a real thing, isn't it? Yeah, the doc- it's very topical, of course, because it's Pride Month, isn't it? Or it has been. Yes. So yeah, that, that, yeah that, that's totally why I did this. Yeah. Yes. To bring awareness. Um, yeah. Basically, a man made another man ejaculate. And yes. so he was unhappy with this and maybe the emotions that he felt. So he came back and shot the doctor. Yes. I did you say, sorry, where this happened? Uh, I have not said where it's happened. Ah, it's, okay. it's, it's a Florida man. Oh, it's Florida man. Then, yes. This okay. is true. 100% true. Now, this is false. Oh. This did not happen. No. Uh, so uh, this was sent in to us. Uh, but it yes, it, it did not happen. I found uh, another article debunking it saying uh, that it was fake. Uh, but this is sort of the, the 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 article that was put around. But it's better than our usual fake articles. In fact, uh, I had to do a bit of research to find out that it was false. Um, one of the giveaways, it's still a giveaway in any article like this, is the fact that, you know, images and things like that, if someone shot someone or killed someone, there, there's bound to be a picture of the person or 
or an image of maybe the place where it happened or something along those lines. A shooting tends to, you know, draw some attention, especially shooting in a doctor's office in America. So you think there'd be something, but it's all sort of stock images and uh, things along those lines. So that already gave me a little bit of an inkling that this might be just a made up story. And then I was proven correct. Uh, but it had, been shared, it had been shared a couple of times, and it, but it, it never made it to any particularly reputable uh, papers, as reputable as you think any paper or, or media outlet can be. Uh, so this is just on something called Social News Daily. So I'll, I'll read it. It's a Florida man, 56, shot his physician close range twice in the chest for making him climax during a prostate exam. On the day of the crime, which went down on August the 22nd, Milo Johansson absconded the state of Florida. Fortunately, the physician he shot survived the wounds of gunfire and he had now recovered fully. Johansson, or Johansson, we're back here again in the... In the, <laughs> in the uh, Johansson, who in Jacksonville was a car salesman, had vanished without a trace. He is presently a fugitive and some folks think he potentially left the United States. The doctor he fired upon notes for over 30 years he's been doing prostate exams and guys ejaculate all the time in the midst of the prostate exam and one sexuality has nothing to do with it. Milo needs help, Dr. Smith elaborated. The prostate is like a male G-spot and it carries semen. It is very sensitive, so when it is touched and massaged, you get an orgasm of almost no effort. The prostate is only accessible through the anus and that's not very comfortable for most men. I understand that Milo was shocked by what happened to him. An orgasm meant something sexual had taken place between us and he became very aggressive, ordering me to apologize and say, no, homie. <laughs> I, <think that's> <laughs> <laughs> right. I did not even know what that means. <laughs> See, that there's a bit of a giveaway right there. Dr. Smith claimed he was trying his, his best to calm down Johansson. Uh, Johansson and gently inform him it was a normal thing. However, he whipped out a pistol busted two shots at him and fled. He was last seen in Jacksonville that day. His 29-year-old significant other said he phoned her and remarked, hasta la vista, and that was the last time she heard from him. After that call, his number was out of service. He hated homosexuals, I know that, but the shooting, I never thought he'd take it that far. So it starts to fall apart near the end, really, as a, um, as a real piece of journalism. Yes, I mean, I agree. It did sort of tail off in terms of professionalism there towards the end. Um, have you ever had a prostate exam? No, I haven't. No, I'm quite tempted to book one now. We probably should. We're getting to that age now, over 30 yeah, now. So we need to start start checking. Uh, I do want to just share and get one of our famous Mike Describes the Picture uh, situation <laughs> because, like I say, one one giveaway when you look at these kind of articles and for anyone who is trying to work out whether something is bullshit themselves based on our discussions is to look and see sort of how it's structured usually the pictures and things someone gets shot especially if they get killed but in this case he survived you usually have some real pictures of the doctor uh the guy who's now a fugitive the gp surgery where it happened anything like that that's a real based something that would definitely be on the news if a guy shot a doctor and ran away. So there would be images of this place where, so one of the big gives or giveaways is, is, is stock uh, for uh, pictures. And this is definitely stock pictures. <laughs> and 
but the decision of stock pictures is, is just comical in its own. So, I, I, yeah, I need to share this with you, Mike, and let me know what you think of this. <laughs> well, well, well. Um, I was fully expecting a stock picture of a man's asshole, I've got to be honest. <laughs> um, what we are looking at here is a guy who looks quite a bit like Alistair Campbell at the back, dressed sort of like a doctor, and he's sort of looking at his hand with a degree of unpleasantness on his face. And then standing directly in front of him, slightly bent over, is a man who who doesn't look unlike the guy that was in Minder, um, Arthur Daly from Minder. I can't remember the actor's name. I don't know, I never watched Minder. Um, but he looks a bit like him, and he sort of has <laughs> he has an expression I can only describe as whimsical on his face. Um, and it's it's a little bit unclear to me whether this stock picture is supposed to be pre or post prostate exam. I'm guessing post, given the way the doctor is looking at his hand. Um, and the other thing that I find quite interesting is that to the right of the image, there is a metal box containing uh, sort of kitchen wipes and sort of hand towels and things. But there doesn't appear to be any sort of sink or hand wash or anything like that. So the implication is that after doing the prostate exam, the doctor just kind of wipes his glove down with a dry towel and then moves on to the next patient. See, you are seeing this differently to me. Right. What did you see? I think they've chosen this picture because the guy who's just had the prostate exam looks somewhat smug or happy with himself. They could say whimsical, uh, which is comedic in its own. But I don't see it as the doctor is looking at his hand. I think they've misjudged what this picture represents. And it looks more like the man in the front has just farted and the doctor at the back has just got a whiff of it and his eyes are closed and he's like, that's disgusting, smiling at it, while the guy at the front looks very pleased with himself. Yes, actually, I can certainly see that. Um, that could very well be an explanation for what's just happened here. Yes. Either the way. Question is how, how long do you then leave it before commencing the prostate exam? <laughs> well, it's probably cleaner now after that than it was before. <laughs> well, but, uh, uh, either way. It's not the best picture to represent a serious crime of someone shooting a doctor <laughs> for making them ejaculate in a prostate exam. So no. this image alone is enough to, I think, sway you on on whether this is a, a real case or not. So it's been debunked. It, it, it's a, a load of rubbish. I mean, I guess it plays on on the idea of, of something that is, is more than reasonable, not reasonable, obviously, but something you can imagine could happen that someone's uh, homophobia has got so strong that if something like this happened, like a medical accident, would you call it, uh, happened, uh, that someone could be so enraged that they were able to do that and link it only to something that they they really don't disagree with, really don't agree with. You know, you can play into that and see why. But then it it always falls at the hurdle of how well uh, an article is written. In this case, not well at all. When you add stupid things like he had to turn around and try and get the doctor to go no homo once he had done <laughs> it, it was already a massive giveaway. But that was a load of rubbish. And and then the choice of stock images is. <laughs> is enough to make you go, 
yeah no that's uh that, that's not really working yeah absolutely absolutely but some good uh detective work then on the last thing to debunk uh something that could have been true for all we knew yes. i thought it was true so there you go next time you go for your prostate exam if this happens to you thank your physician yes yes because at the end of the day um it's still nice yeah you may have discovered something new ask him what he did take it back to the wife ask her (laughs) 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 go back to the wife be like right i've discovered this incredible thing you've got to wear a white coat and have a stethoscope and then it's just amazing it's incredible so there we go. I think I will end the show there for today on that note. And do you have anything to say before we go, Michael? Uh, yes, of course, Dean. You often ask me what uh, today's national day is or what is being celebrated today. And it is, of course, the 4th of July. So famously, it is National Barbecued Spare Ribs Day. So happy Barbecued Spare Ribs Day to you, Dean. So that does that specifically, would a Chinese spare rib count? Because that's a barbecue sauce. Uh, yeah, why not? Why not? It's an inclusive holiday. Um, well, so, I didn't know um, it had to be like that proper, like barbecue, barbecue spare ribs. Or whatever. It's not like a Chinese sauce, is it? It's still a barbecue sauce. Yeah, I think if the ribs have gone on a barbecue, whatever sauce they're on, I think that's absolutely fine. Um, and so, yeah, um, happy National Barbecue Spare Ribs Day to you, dear listener. Um, it's also a lesser known holiday, um, US Independence Day, um, which, of course, is when we celebrate Will Smith destroying the galactic invaders and allowing us to get on with our lives. Yes, this is our Independence Day. Exactly. Um, and actually, in retrospect, that is exactly how the podcast should have ended. Um, you should put that in at the end. Uh, I won't watch the film because I think it's shite. Um, Oh, come on. It's terrible. The first film's really good. I've not seen any of the others. The first film isn't good. You've got like you've got you've got rose tinted glasses on. I watched it not that long ago. It's a bad film. I liked it when I was younger, but it and it's got the iconic scenes of like you know the ship blowing up the White House stuff like that. I understand that it was crazy, you know, for the technical achievements of the time, but the film is bad. As no, in, like, no, there no, is no, a room no, no, no. full of full of doctors that get murdered in five seconds by this alien, but Will Smith knocks it out in with one punch. Now, given that I've seen Will Smith slap a man, I <laughs> I, I do not believe he would be able to knock out that alien. Well, I mean, yeah, that does put it in a slightly different light. But the alien that he knocked out had just been involved in a crash, and he just crashed his spaceship, so he was probably not in the best physical condition anyway. And the, the punch did then did then uh, precede the classic line "Welcome to Earth," which for some reason he said as Earth, Isn't which I think Earth. Weird. He says uh, Earth, yeah, for some reason. Welcome to Earth. They probably did about twenty takes of that, and they thought that was the best one. Yeah, they're probably like, we've only got so many aliens where we can't just keep beating them up like this. They're going to leave, and then the film's just not going to work. So we can only do so many takes. I mean, but no, the a, film is good. The it's film's an, good. It's, it's, it's an it's enjoyable brilliant. yarn, but it's, uh, it, 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 it hasn't aged well. And, um, it is, it is the definition of over the top. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is quite over the top. You're, you're right about that. Um, when I was a kid, I actually had a, a big movie poster for independence day and it was, you know, that like hologram stuff. Oh yeah. And it was the white house with the alien ship. And as you walked past the poster, the hologram image changed and the beam came down and blew up the White House. 
Well, there you go. So happy Independence Day, everybody. Uh, <laughs> May your White House be ever unblown up. Don't watch the sequel. I've heard it's terrible. Dependence Day. Dependence Day, yeah. Well, they become dependent on the aliens. Um, if you are interested in celebrating uh, US history, why not find out about what the Americans did to the Marshall Islands in the 1950s? Hooray! What did they do to the Marshall Islands in the 1950s? Well, they... Um, they declared themselves a sort of protectorate of the Marshall Islands. And then they used the islands and the islanders um, for nuclear weapons testing. So some of the islands, um, they detonated a series of nuclear bombs. So every day for 12 years in some of the Marshall Islands, there were nuclear explosions as powerful as the ones at Hiroshima. And they were just bombing, 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 bombing. And then in the 1960s, I think, um, the US president announced that it was safe for the Marshall Islanders to return to their home. So they did. Um, it was not safe. And the US government knew it wasn't safe. But they sent them back to the Marshall Islands so that they could study the effects of radiation poisoning on humans. Um, because they'd been studying the effects of radiation poisoning on animals and wanted human test subjects. So they convinced the people of the Marshall Islands to return back to this irradiated wasteland. Um, so that they could check uh, how humanity was going to survive a nuclear holocaust. Well, that's a positive end, isn't it? <laughs> well, yes. I mean, um, you, ch- you, you, cho- you chose Independence Day to bring up an atrocity by the American government. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm speaking truth to power. I'm holding the, the US government to account. Come get me. Biden. Okay, so this will be the last the last podcast that you hear of Michael Trevelyan alive. So if I'll just, are... ne- next week I'll be replaced by Agent Jones, who's <laughs> always been on the podcast and I yeah. have never existed. With pictures of a green and lush Marshall Island saying, look, it's wonderful, it's a utopia. Okay, well, that's I'll end it there then. Uh, thank, you, <laughs> thank, thank you for tuning in. We hope, hope you join us again next week for another exciting episode of Holding Court. Goodbye, everybody. If you know of any strange court or legal cases you would like us to discuss on the show, feel free to email us at holding.court.com at outlook.com. <laughs>